This is the Catullus Podcast, Food for the Journey. Season 4, Episode 2. How to cope with the mental side of tough times. Hi, I'm Michael and welcome back to the Catullus Podcast. It's so good to be back with you. It feels like forever. And thank you so much, everybody's been saying so many lovely things about how it's great to be back and they've been enjoying the podcast. So hopefully today we'll give you some more food for the journey and you can enjoy yourself. So let's go. Thank you very much to our sponsors who are the Masterclass Sessions. If you click on the link in the show notes, you can book yourself on the next Masterclass Session. I'm going to be there. And if you send a quick email to michael at catalyst.co.uk or just say hello on social media, send me a quick message, just say something that you enjoyed uh, from today's episode. You can be in with a chance of winning our monthly competition where you can get a full year's worth of access to the Masterclass sessions for completely free. If you don't know what they are, they get the best people from all around the world to speak on topics every month and they're absolutely brilliant. So if you'd like that to be you, just click on the link. So isn't it bizarre and a, a bit of a double whammy that when things are difficult, you have to deal with a difficult thing, whatever that is, but then you also often feel rubbish about it. So it's like a double whammy, isn't it? You feel not very good on the inside, might be negative thoughts and feelings, and then you've got the external thing on the outside, so you're having to cope with both. So I wanted to give you some help with that. And in my opinion, I don't think we can do enough to help each other and ourselves with this this aspect, the mental side, you know, the inner game. You hear sports people talking about it, business people talking about it all of the time. A lot of parents say, I just want you to be happy. Well, that's not an easy thing, is it? There's a lot in that. So um, I want to really give you some practical things. We're going to look at four different aspects that when things are tough, that mentally can be very challenging. And then I'm going to give you eight things to hopefully deal with those aspects. And they're all practical things you can use today for free. So you've got, you know, you've got two lots for every bad thing. So hopefully you'll feel fully armed <laughs> for battle. So these are the mental things we're going to look at today. We're going to look at catastrophizing and what that is. We're going to look at ruminating, overthinking, um, and also some, something that's very common, which is morning anxiety, feeling a sense of panic or dread first thing in the morning. So let's look at the first one. If you're the kind of person who's got, like me, a very active imagination and you're always thinking and always coming up with ideas, that can be really good, by the way. That can be a really useful thing. You come up with solutions, you can come up with creative ideas. But what it kind of does is it's kind of like having a very powerful battery. So your phone is always on 200% rather than 100% and it's hard to switch off. And when things are difficult, often it goes into negative mode and catastrophizing is like the, the name says, you think of a catastrophe, which is the worst case scenario. So for example, you're out of shape and you think, well, I'm never going to be in shape ever and I'm probably just going to die. Or you think somebody, because they've not texted you back, you, they think they hate you, you know, and they're never going to speak to you again. You're thinking, oh, there's a recession coming and it's going to be like this for a thousand years. And you know you're kind of doing it. And that's the hard thing. You know it's a sense of losing all kind of mental perspective. You think of the worst example and then you kind of convince yourself it's true. So if that sounds like you, um, something that you can do for that straight away is what's called best case scenario. And I only started doing this quite recently, actually, where it's often not the worst case scenario that happens. Or the best case scenario, it's usually something that comes out of you know left field or something in between. For example, a lot of people you know think in the worst case scenario, well, no one predicted COVID happening. We didn't really plan that. So something to balance out catastrophizing is to think of the best case scenario and write them down. So say, for example, you're out of shape. 
say, well, I'm in the best shape ever, I'm fully fit and lean and trim and I'm able to do all the things I want to do, what would the absolute best case scenario be? They're texting the friend, it, you know, what is the absolute best case scenario? They text you and say, hey, so sorry, I've just been busy. Um, the recession, what's the absolute best case scenario? Your business actually grows by 200% in the next five years. And write them down. Now, you're not trying to convince yourself that they're going to happen. All you're doing is giving yourself the opposite end of the scale. Because if you think about it, if you think about something many, many times, you're going to convince yourself it's true, whether it's true or not. So you're just balancing out the scale on both sides, the positive and the negative. So if you still keep catastrophizing, okay, but then on the other side, you've now got the best case scenarios and chances are it's going to be neither. It's going to be hopefully one that goes a bit more positive. And what I found is by focus on the best case scenario, you start thinking, why are we not making that happen? Is that actually possible? Is that a thing? So give that a try for catastrophizing. So ruminating. To ruminate means to really brood on something. So let's take the example you've had a fallout with a friend and you go home and you really think about it. But I don't mean thinking about it for like two minutes. I mean all night, three hours, maybe the next day. Maybe it's something you harbour and resent in your heart, you know, and you're thinking about it for weeks and months afterwards. The problem with ruminating is it often doesn't lead to any kind of action or any kind of positive or negative result. You're just stewing. You're just mentally thinking things over and over and over again, and you don't get anywhere. I've done this for years, and I'm trying to really cut down. I've managed, I think, to manage to cut down on this. So if you think that's you, if you really think things over in a negative way many times, I don't mean you're problem solving and you're thinking, right, I need to really think about that. You're just going down and down and down. All right, the best description I ever heard to help with ruminating is this. Somebody said to me, your mind, your brain is like a spanner. I said, what do you mean? He said, look, a spanner is useful for things that a spanner is useful for, or say a screwdriver, whichever tool you want. But you can't solve a spanner with a spanner. This person said that to me. I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, if you've got a problem that only a spanner can fix, great. Your brain is the spanner. And I was like, oh, right, I think I get that. So what that means is you can't solve a problem by just thinking it through. It's not going to happen. It's just the spanner. And some tool, <laughs> some situations don't require a spanner. They might require an internet connection or they might require a conversation or some money. So just think about that with ruminating. Just say, ah, I'm sat here, you know, hit myself in the head with a spanner. <laughs> the brain is to be used. You ever hear that really cool phrase, the brain is like a parachute. It only works when it's open. Well, when you ruminate, you're not actually opening it. You're just closing it down and tightening it. So just remind yourself of that. Just like you, can, you can't solve a spanner with a spanner, you use a spanner for things. You can't solve things by just ruminating. The third one is a very common one all the time, but I think especially when you're going through a real hard problem and it's overthinking. Now, how much thinking is overthinking? We have 80,000 odd thoughts a day. They can be so fast. You could have like five in a second. They're so fast. The brain is so powerful. How do you know when overthinking is too much? You know, how when do you reach that point? Well, only you know. But for me, if it slides into catastrophizing, ruminating, some of the things we're going to be looking at, chances are I'm overthinking it. It's rare that we underthink things. <laughs> we are very, you know, we think about performance and we think, right, I'll make sure I'm prepared for that um, that meeting or make sure I'm prepared for talking to that client. It's very rare. Have you ever sat down and said to yourself, I really underthought that? I didn't think about that enough. Sometimes that's the case, but I bet it's more the case that you've sat down and gone, I'm really overthinking this. I'm thinking it too much. So again, how do you know if you're overthinking it and what can you do about it? Just ask yourself the open-ended question. 
So just say to yourself, am I overthinking this? And if you've been thinking about something for 30 minutes and gone round and round circles and you're ruminating, yep, chances are you are overthinking it. There's some really powerful things that's done in Buddhism where they talk about things are just things. It's what you think about it makes it what it is. You know, what is it? Shakespeare said, nothing is neither good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. And that's the thing with it. If you are overthinking something and you say to yourself, I'm overthinking, you'll hear this little voice go, yes. <laughs> and if it says no, you say, no, I need to think about this more, then fine, you know. But the chances are that you probably are overthinking it. So you don't have to do anything in that moment. You just catch yourself, you catch yourself, you catch yourself. I say that thoughts sometimes are like balloons. They come in front of you, you just cut the string, just watch it drift off. You don't need to grab the balloon and pop it in your face <laughs> mentally. So if you class yourself as thinking, I do overthink a lot, use that open-ended question, am I overthinking, am I overthinking? And there's some other things I want to link in with that. Another very common one is anxiety first thing in the morning. You ever get that? Waking up with a sense of panic or dread and anxiety. There's no particular one thing. Nobody's trying to kill you in that moment, but you really feel uneasy. You're just like, oh no, I don't, oh, this is this is not good. And you can't put, your, the worst thing about anxiety sometimes is you can't put your finger on why. You don't wake up going, I feel anxious because of this issue. You're just like, mm. I find this for myself if I get it. You can't put your finger on it. You can't put your finger on it. It's, again, it's back to the spanner. It's not a spanner situation where you need a spanner. It's a sense of uneasiness. It's a sense of panic. It's a sense of something bad has gonna, is going to happen or has happened. So a big one to, for that is to have a morning routine and to be kind to yourself in that morning routine. So a morning routine could be as simple as you want. It could just be having breakfast. It could be you do some meditation. It doesn't matter what it is. The consistent aspect really busies the mind and Please don't make the mistake I did. I thought, and I've been using morning routines for about 15 years, I thought that by making a morning routine, you're going to feel fabulous and everything's great and there's no morning anxiety because you're doing your morning routine and you're sorted. If that works, by the way, great, I hope it does. But for me, if I feel any morning anxiety, I allow myself to not feel great while I'm doing the routine. So I don't expect myself to magically feel good just because I've had a coffee or some breakfast or journaling or I've done some meditation or I've looked at some positive quotes. I know that by doing that, it's like waking up the mind. It's waking, it's warming it up like you warm your body when you do a workout. You're warming your brain up, getting it going. And you're not using this morning anxiety and thinking, ah, it's, there's a reason for it and ruminating on what that can be. A lot of these are patterns. We fall into patterns. Doesn't mean they're good or bad patterns. But if you're not enjoying the pattern, you've got to switch it up. I've been saying this recently over the last few months to take my business to the next level. I've got to be willing to do things I haven't done so far to get to a different outcome. You keep doing the same things, you get the same outcome. So try that in relation to the morning anxiety. Get on the routine. Give yourself a nice simple one. If you want any help with that, I can just ask me a question. I can send you examples. But don't expect yourself to feel great. It always passes. It always passes. I'm going to give you some more things to help. I would highly recommend that you check out a incredible woman called Dr. Carol Dweck. So Dr. Carol Dweck is very famous for popularizing growth mindset and the power of yet. And she has some incredible material. Just Google her or watch her YouTube videos or read her books. And she's brilliant for helping people to understand you can either have a fixed mindset saying, I'm like this, I've always been like this, I'm never gonna change. Or you're a bit more open-minded going, hmm, I'm, I'm, I've been listening to what Mike's saying. I'm willing to try some new stuff. I think I can change. I'm open to that. And that's the difference between thinking you fix, you can't ever improve, or you're going to grow. My experience from over 10 years, 
10 years, maybe even more of adopting a growth mindset, you want to have a growth mindset because when things change, when they're tough, as we're talking about, you can pivot, you can grow, you can go with it. So make sure to check out Dr. Carol Dweck. She's famous for saying the power of yet. So if you sat there going, yeah, but this, Mike, you don't understand. These things are really difficult for me. I haven't got any of them sorted. I feel really overwhelmed. I haven't got it all sorted. She'd add, <laughs> yet. So you're thinking, well, I keep catastrophizing. I haven't, I haven't calmed it down yet, yet. It's a really, really powerful one. Try it. Another woman that I definitely recommend that you check out is Dr. Caroline Leaf. I think I might mention these ladies in previous podcasts, but I can't mention them enough. They're amazing. Because mindset, and from a psychological point of view, is very important. And attitude. And if you doubt that, just look at people who are you know, doing really well, happy, successful. A lot of it is down to that attitude. Or think about yourself when you have good moments. It's not always the thing itself. It's down to your attitude. But I find it's very important to understand the brain and how the brain works, the neuro, just meaning brain cells, chemistry of it, the chemicals that go around in your brain, the neuroplasticity, the fact that when Dr. Carol Dweck is saying your brain is like a piece of plastic, it can change. Dr. Caroline Leaf can show you, yes, and this is how it does with diagrams and pictures. With a lot of these things, because again, we're part of, you know, we have the spanner inside, we can't step outside of our own minds. We lose the objectivity of looking at the brain and looking at our mining and what's actually going on here. What's the hardware? What's the software? I found it really helpful to look at diagrams and study and to know the science that backs up a lot of the things we're talking about today. So why do you catastrophize? Why do you ruminate? What's going on in your brains? What neural pathways are you following? And why is it stacked one way? And can you change? And what does that look like over time? How long does it take? She's also got a podcast, so make sure to check out Dr. Caroline Lee. She's fantastic. Another thing that I think is really helpful is to ask these two questions and I'll make sure to find out the name of the person uh, of these if you like these questions because they've got more in the name escapes right now. But with any of these catastrophizing, ruminating, overthinking, morning anxiety, panic, dread, social anxiety, the list goes on. Try these two questions. Are my thoughts true? And how do they behave? So say, for example, you are catastrophizing and you're feeling morning anxiety and you're thinking ahead to your day and you think, I just can't handle today. It's going to go terribly. I know it is. It's going to be awful. I feel overwhelmed. I want to give up. I'm never going to be able to get over this. (laughs) You start by saying, okay, are my thoughts true? Well, I don't know if they're true yet because I haven't done the day. So no, they're just my feelings towards it. And how do they behave? Well, I'm kind of attacking myself here. I'm kind of putting myself down at don't know why maybe just because I've always done it that way for the last 50 years oh yeah it shifts things as Dr. Carol Dweck would would help you to understand and Dr. Carolyn Leaf you go down a different pathway you ask a different question you get a different result you're not trying to fix anything not trying to solve anything not trying to take any action you just say are my thoughts true or not so for example if you're talking about Wednesday and it's Wednesday well then yeah your thoughts are true (laughs) and how do they behave Often the ones that we don't like is the brain attacking itself. It's almost like your mind is eating itself. It's a horrible image. But just doing that is enough to just stop it in that moment. So you say, are my thoughts true? No. How do they behave? They're attacking me. And then you catch yourself doing it again. And you do it again. And you do it again. And you do it again. And you start to see, "Eh, I think I've got a bit of a pattern going on here. This isn't just a one-off event. The next thing I thought that could be very helpful for you is something that I do. Because one of the best things I think about business is that you have to be comfortable with data and numbers and metrics and analyzing things over time. You can't just wing it and go how you feel. And I like to apply that aspect sometimes to my mental health and the way I try and 
look at my mind and help with patterns and and look at periods of time rather than just how do I feel in that moment. So I'd suggest you write things down, keeping a journal or even just writing your thoughts down, the negative, the positive. I've never suffered from writing them down. It's never done me any damage at all. And I don't know anybody who has struggled with because they've written them down. You might think, well, no, I'm going to feel worse if I see them written down. No, it doesn't actually work that way. Again, what seems to happen is with any of these, often your brain says you take some action, take some action, this thing's horrendous, do something, do something. And by writing it down, it steps outside of the brain onto the page. And what I'd say is don't just write them down because that's not particularly helpful. Look for patterns. Is it the same thing over and over again? Is it a different one? Is it something that's seasonal? Is it something that's related to a particular topic like finance or relationships? Is it related to COVID? And what I'd suggest if you if you want to, the next step you could take after you've written it down and you're looking at classifying them is number them. So say for example you're concerned about your health and anytime you know, you're catastrophizing, ruminating, like really struggling, you try and catch yourself or maybe even just a couple of times a day and you say this one's about my health. It's it's back to the health. It seems to just be all about the health. You might have another one. It might be related to your relationships. And when I started doing this, I thought I'm going to have a million different categories. It's going to be a million different things. So much going on in my head. Oh no, I'm special. I'm you know, I'm going to have all these things. No, it was often about seven. The most I've ever had is 17 different things going on at once. There's not that many. And that's very empowering. Try it. To know that you haven't got a million things that are wrong with you. <laughs> at all, maybe. There's not a million different issues going on that you know hurting your life. It might just be four or five or even just three and the different aspects of the same three. So try that. It's very, very useful. And the final one is something called cognitive diffusion. I might have mentioned this before. So cognitive cognition means thinking. Imagine you've got your thoughts in your mind. And what I find is helpful is imagine physically, get your hand. Imagine taking them out of your mind and looking at them from about arm's distance. And use these things that I've said before. Are they true? How do they behave? And recognize that you are not your thoughts and your feelings. They come and go. Sometimes they're proper random. And it's understanding that you think you're looking at your thoughts. You're looking at your feelings going, ah, what's this? Ooh, a bit of fear. Okay, why is that? Rather than from within it. Imagine when you're playing a game when you're a child and the game's going on. It's very intense. Once the game's over, the game's over, isn't it? And suddenly the whole space changes. You can say, oh, just a bit caught up in that game, you know, like a game of football. So cognitive diffusion is having a bit of space and going, hmm, looking at stuff rather than thinking from within them. And the final thing I say in all of it is just mental energy, fuel for your brain. If you put positive or negative paper on a, on a fire, whatever's written down, it will still burn. And if anxiety is with you, okay, that will give you some energy. You might not like it, but it can be helpful. A lot of this is just energy. It's very rare that it completely paralyzes you and you feel totally depressed. Now, I know you can. I've been there, definitely. But often with these particular ones we've talked about today, it is a form of energy in your brain, erratic mental energy. So use it and say, and then it becomes very powerful, by the way. If you can start saying, well, I don't particularly want to feel panicked or dread or anxious or catastrophizing, but if that's what I've got today, then so be it. I'll use it. Bring it on. Now, you might not be there today, but you can definitely get to that point. I've had moments like that. You become, I don't like phrases like unstoppable, but very, very powerful and self-aware when you get to the point where you can say, whatever comes today in my brain and my body, I'm going to use it and use it for the right reasons. 
there's no stopping you. <laughs> so I hope that's been helpful for you in looking at some very specific things that you can do when we get overwhelmed and we have the mental side of tough times, not the thing itself that's happening, often the way we think about it, the way we feel about it. And pace yourself, you know, be kind to yourself. Nobody knows what's going on in your mind except for you. And often it's not the thing itself, it's how we think about it. So be kind to yourself, love yourself, please, you're worth it. So until we talk again, I just want you to remember two things. First is try one of these things, try it out, have a growth mindset. Check out Dr. Carol Dweck, Dr. Carol and Leaf. Use one of these things over a period of time. Give it a week or two weeks or a month. Don't just do it for a day and say it didn't work or it did work. And then, oh no, it's not working again. Just try something. And even if you don't, just know that right now, just as you are, someone loves you very, very much. Okay. Take care and speak soon. So today's positive fact is something very, very special. Just Google the storage capacity of your brain. You'll see some incredible numbers and figures. One of the best ways I had it described to me, and you'll love this. If you think, oh, there's only so much space in my brain, I can't form new habits, I can't do new things, just try this. You know you get those filing cabinets where you can put in lots of files and paper and about four foot big. Somebody figured out this, the capacity, the billions and billions of circuits in the brain and the space they take up. If you stacked those filing cabinets from the ground on top of each other, the space in your, you know, space in those cabinets, that's the same as the space in your brain, how much space have you got? If you stacked them all the way to the moon, that's the kind of space that you've got in your brain. So the next time you think I haven't got space for something new, I can't try something new, I've got too much on my mind, it's not actually the case, it's just the way you think about it. Give it a try. <laughs>